the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. In a few moments, we'll get an update from John Schlafly. John Schlafly from the Schlafly Report, weekly column with Andy and John Schlafly, archived over at phyllisschlafly.com, available at townhall.com. Also, John Schlafly in a moment. Also, um, we will hear from my friend Jeffrey Stevens. He is the author of a number of books now. He's got a series of novels and books. He's become a prolific writer. He is a uh, an attorney by training, but has become an author. And his book, it's called Fool's Errand, is my favorite book, a favorite fiction book around Father's Day, because it's a very cool story. We'll talk with him about that and a lot more. First, if you go to ProAmericaReport.com, you can sign up there for the daily email, the daily wink, what you need to know, W-Y-N-K, what you need to know. Sign up for the daily wink. It's a short email, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. It comes into your email box each Monday through Friday, each day, Monday through Friday. And it gives you an update on a few of the key things, a few links, a few stories, what you need to know right there. ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there and you will not regret it. I promise you that. All right. What do you need to know today? What you need to know today? What's today's wink? Today's wink is very simply, they know not what they're doing. That's a little dramatic, right? I know. But they know not what they're doing. My point here is I don't think that the media, the Democrats, the Biden administration, any of them realize that they are every single day uh, pouring strength onto Donald Trump, meaning all of the attention, all of the uh, action that they're doing. Uh, when If you watched on Tuesday the uh, Donald Trump's arraignment in Miami federal court, you saw coverage on all the major networks breathless coverage on social media meaning people tweeting and and instagramming and and uh and messaging each other facebook that donald trump was leaving florida flying to new jersey then moving from the airport in new jersey excuse me flying from new jersey to florida then moving from the airport in florida uh to miami courthouse and then back and then in the evening on tuesday there was a, a speech that uh president trump did back in new jersey it was like um, it was a cross between a a state funeral, the O.J. Simpson uh, um, Bronco chase, and I don't know uh, what other things. Uh, inauguration. It was coverage like you couldn't believe. And and here's the thing: at the center of the coverage were are two things: Donald J. Trump, this phenomenon, and two these terribly trumped up, terribly silly. Uh, charges against Trump, which just don't have any real uh, 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 meaning to most Americans. Most Americans are looking at it and they're like, they, they, they can't believe that he's being charged with this. Uh, and so mo- most of the country is looking up and going, oh my gosh, what is this? And so here's the thing. Here's what Trump did. If you watched Rachel Maddow last night, if you watched um, CNN uh, that night. Sorry, not that, that, that. Well, it was yesterday, Tuesday night. If you watch those stations, um, then what you saw were people 
the, the reporters who were kind of stunned that they had to cover this. They were stunned that they had to cover uh, the uh, the um, uh, this the debacle of a case. And of course, it's so early that they actually didn't have any uh, details. So th- they were trying to make up like, oh, it's uh, the walls are closing. This is really bad. Meanwhile, the, the images they had was a guy getting stronger and stronger. Donald Trump, after his arra- arraignment, he went to a, a like a, a diner or a restaurant in Miami, and the crowd sang happy birthday to him. I, I mean, it looked it, again, it looked like a celebration. It looked like a birthday party. He was able to turn this supposedly terrible thing into all upside for him because it showed him what the center of the world, confident, happy, laughing. And then in addition, it had him uh, disputing and making clear that the charges were not real, not serious and weren't going to mean anything. And the double standard people like Hillary Clinton were so helpful by jumping out into the, into the limelight and saying, see, uh, he did something bad. Everyone like, wait, you did all kinds of things. Your husband did all kinds of things. We're not, we're not fooled for a second. We're not even, we're not, we're we're not looking at this and thinking, Oh, that's one group is innocent. And this is the, finally the guilty group. In fact, I heard a commentator say that when you watched the, uh, the, the size and scope of the people of the group that was condemning Trump, that many Americans, this was a commentator saying this, many Americans thought it feels like it's, it's us against them and, and they're going after Trump and that's us. Meaning the powers that be seem so out of touch from where normal people are and they're going after Trump. It feels kind of personal. It feels like they're going after us. And I think that sense is grow well the polls all show it the polls are showing it the snap polls in the days after the uh, uh the announcement of the indictment last week uh, all the polls show that it's just like even stronger even more and and more people frank luntz frank luntz who is famous for being a pollster and being a kind of um a republican um message maker he was he wrote a book called um a words that matter and he's been an advisor to uh to uh, speaker mccarthy um in fact there was a bit of a scandal speaker mccarthy was uh found to be renting an apartment from uh Luntz in um, downtown uh, washington dc at less than less than market rates i think is the way the story goes but anyway Luntz is a kind of well-known guy since back in the um in the era of uh, of Newt, uh, um, Frank Luntz has been fairly famous uh, for his messaging for Republicans. And about two and a half years ago, he famously went out and said, no matter what happens, Trump will never be elected again. He's he's done too much. It's gone too far, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And in the last 24 hours, he did, I think, two interviews. He's overseas. He's somewhere in Australia, I think, teaching or, or lecturing, getting paid to be a consultant. And he did an interview and he said, yeah, Trump can win now. I didn't think it was possible. I didn't think it was, you know, remotely possible. But now I think he can win because they've gone too far. And for Luntz to say that, first of all, two things you need to know. One, he doesn't want to say that. He's a, he's a real um, uh, moderate guy and he doesn't like Trump. But more importantly, he wants to be on the right side of history. The pollsters will lie to you about what the results are until it gets close. And then they realize that they'll be burned and never be able to work again. And so Luntz is looking at it going, yeah, I can see what's happening in that country back in America. You know, I can see what's happening on the ground. I can see that the American people are reacting to this. And I better get on the right side of this one because I don't want to be the guy that was against Trump and, and said the wrong thing. I'm just going to. So he did. That's what's happening more and more. I My prediction at this point 
and it's a long way off. My prediction is that it's at this point, it's landslide. Uh, it's landslide proportions. Because again, people know the economy's terrible. People know that there's wars in the world. They don't seem to be getting better. They know all that stuff was different in the Trump administration. And they're going to think, whether it's true or not, doesn't matter. They're going to think that it will be better back then. And they're, they're going to want that. And they're going to look up and they're going to say, if it's really Biden now, I, more and more as this goes the way it's going, there are more and more people are going to have to, uh, they're going to have to, Democrats are going to have to figure out how to push Biden out. Because what you need to know is Trump's getting stronger and stronger every single day. He's raising more and more money. He's getting more and more people who are saying, uh, look, another example. I don't trust Frank Luntz. He'll change whatever way the wind and whichever way the green goes. He'll change whoever, whoever's paying him. He'll change. But a guy that never changes except for what he thinks is Cernovich, Mike Cernovich. And Cernovich has been, has been a guy that said Trump is not the right guy to do this again. Trump is too much of a, uh, of a, of a big baby and hasn't gotten all this stuff. Cernovich has been brutal. And Cernovich now is saying, you can't do this in America, what you're doing to Trump. And let me finish with one more thing. Even if you don't believe everybody's had a change of heart, but they've had a change of position, which is a lot of what's going on, there's a phrase people have used for a few years now called the fake because, that people can see the way things are going and they need a way to justify changing their position. Because they went after Trump this way, I'm now for Trump. Because the way they have persecuted Trump, I can see that the people are going in his direction. Because It's kind of a fake because. Some of us already saw that happening, and so it's accelerating things. But that's another part of this, is a fake because. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. That's what you need to know. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I was just uh, speaking off the air with our next guest. Jeffrey Stevens is an author. Uh, he is in his previous life. He has uh, practiced law. He's uh, the books that I first got including uh, on him are the Jordan Sandor Seer Thrillers. There's a series of those. But the book I want to talk to him about, I mentioned earlier, Jeffrey, was Fool's Errand, a novel of yours from a few years ago, which I found so uh, interesting, fun. It's about a, a guy who his father has passed away six years before, and he goes on this uh, search to figure out what was what's at the heart of this mystery of his uh, his father, who was a kind of uh, minor uh, criminal or something, minor sort of mobster. And it's all about fathers and fatherhood and all, and it's great. So, uh, Jeffrey Stevens, welcome back to the program. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me back, Ed. Well, it's great to have you back. And I know I've got, I just said to you off the air, your, your newer book is called The Handler, and we'll get you on again to talk about that. But this uh, book, Fool's Aaron, first of all, I, Post Hill Press publishes. How'd you come to write this one? It's really very personal. You can feel it. How'd you come to write this one? Well, I always wanted to write a book about my dad who did die when, when he was young. I was 22. He was 50. And, um, I came up with something and, you know, a lot of times people have these conversations It's sort of thing. Maybe, you know, you have when you're in a, a school dormitory in college or something or whatever, people just sitting around having cocktails. And you say, if there's one person that you could spend a day with, who would that be? And a lot of people say it would be Jesus Christ. Some people say it would be Winston Churchill, you know, right. but a lot of people say, gosh, if I had one more day with my dad or my mom. So I came up with this premise for a story, which is, as you mentioned, that the the narrator is a young man 
who six years after his father's death finds a letter in a box of papers in the attic as his mother's moving out of their family house and going to Florida. And he finds this letter, and this is no spoiler alert because it happens right in the beginning. And the letter discloses this father's claim because the father, as you said, was a ne'er-do-well and he never got anything right in life at all. But this one he says is for real and there's this treasure and that if his son ever gets this letter, he should track this down. And so we've got this young man who's led this completely straight-laced life, unlike his dad, and now he's got to figure out, does he just put this letter in a drawer and say, oh, that dad, what a silly guy, or does he pursue his father's dreams? And we know what he does, because the book is called Fool's Errand, <laughs> right. and, and he winds up on an interna- what winds up being an international treasure hunt. And so it was a lot of fun. I got to, in answer to your question about fathers and sons, I got to examine a lot of experiences that I had with my dad, and so the dad, even though he had died earlier, he becomes a character in the book through the reminiscences and the things that occurred and it was just great fun for me to write i never wrote a book that was easier to write than this one and and people tend to love it i don't say that out of you know yeah yeah i don't want to sound vain but people love it because they say boy when i got done reading this book the first thing i wanted to do was call my mom or my dad if you're lucky enough to have your parents living and that so that's the source of the book uh, Je- uh, Jeffrey Stevens is our guest, and uh, I mentioned he's got uh, lots of books he's written. If you go over to look at Amazon or somewhere, you'll see he's got all these different books. This one is called Fool's Aaron. It's it's good for Father's Day. It's good for uh, thinking about family. But uh, so one thing, uh, Jeffrey, was your dad a ne'er do well? I hate to say it like that, but was did he have a a, a a a you know was it a difficult his life difficult and sort of not successful? Yes, in the in in the interest of full disclosure, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's a lot of there's a lot of me in this book, and there's a lot of my father. Um, he was a very very interesting Italian American character in New York City, and a lot of that comes through in the story. Um, he was always reaching for that brass ring that he could never quite grasp, and he did not have a successful life in business, and he was not a professional. And I mean, he wasn't any kind of like an evil guy or anything like that, but he was, mm-hmm. he was a tough customer, but I learned a lot from him in life. And a lot of that comes through in the book. And I hope, really hope that when people read this, they read it in the context of thinking about their own parents, because here's one thing, one of the messages I really wanted to give that even after your parents are gone, they are still such an amazing influence on us because they were there at the beginning. They yeah. raised us a basic, personality traits, our quality, whether we have integrity or not, whether we're honest or not, that all comes from those early days for most of us. And so when people read it, I hope they're thinking of their own parents because that's the point of the book. Uh, again, Jeffrey Stevens, our guest, Post Hill Press is the uh, publisher. I-, I love those guys over there. Fool's Aaron is the book. Um, a different part of that, though, that I have to tell you, I, I and my dad's my dad. You remind me of my dad, who's still living. He's a lawyer, and he's very he's been very successful, and is a pretty well adjusted guy ish, and uh, all that. But but I also thought when I re- when I read this, and I was reading rereading parts of it, I'd marked it up. Blackie is the father, and then the, the son is in pursuit of this fool's errand. One of the things I thought, Jeffrey, was every like you're such a success, right? You have all these books, a successful lawyer, all that stuff, and yet. Every one of us feels like Blackie looked to his son, if you get my drift. In other I words, do. you're we're all sort of we all feel like losers. And somehow when you get to the point where the, at the end of the book, you say this Blackie father, he 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 was a full role. And maybe that's I hate to sound like that Nicholson movie, but maybe that's as good as it gets. 
Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, Maxwell Perkins, the famous editor of Hemingway and Fitzgerald and Thomas Wolfe, said, every good deed a man does is to please his father. That's number one. <laughs> number two. Right. Number two is the, I guarantee you that the only person in the world who wants you to be more successful than he is, is your dad. No one else roots for that the way your father does. <laughs> That's pretty good. And, I like that. And so so for me, that was the fun of this, is that to see it through his eyes and to see it through the son's eyes and going after this dream that his father had, and whether it's real or not, the reader will come to see. But it's all about that sort of thing that you're talking about, the, the integrity, the emotions, and how we judge ourselves and the growth of the young man who is the narrator of the book from the beginning to the end. I mean, it's not a long book, but as you know, but but from the beginning to the end, he's a different person. He's grown up right. largely because of what his father's done for him. And what what's better than that? The other thing about it, again, Jeffrey Stevens, our guest, uh, the book is Fool's Aaron. It's a novel, Post Hill Press, Find Anywhere to Sell Books. It's good for Father's Day. The other part of this, Jeffrey, to me was um, that, especially now, you know, I, I think I'm right. I, I, I guess I got a, a details gone, but uh, did Blackie and, and uh, his wife stay married? I don't think the family broke up or maybe they did, but doesn't, oh, no, doesn't, no, 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 they stayed married. Yeah, oh, yeah. It does, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in this set, but in a world where there's so much divorce, so many broken families, so much going on. My point is you don't have to have a broken family to have good old fashioned dysfunction and you don't have to have uh, to, to have success in relation to the, the people in your life, your father, in this case, you don't have to have perfection. And, and somehow it's kind of the, the book gives you some, but it's really fun by the way, that it's a clever story story and it moves along um and there's lots of fun things I, I i like the the uh the style of the of the narrator but but it sort of sends that message i think that's another part of this it. kind of you know it, it, everybody comes from a broken family in, in a certain sense you know that and, you know not to be too dramatic but you all work it out and that's no, the beauty of working it out i'm so with you no family is perfect and as i have a friend who's got a great line apropos what you're saying which is families put the fun in dysfunction <laughs> 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 that's right that's pretty good that's also pretty good the um did you ever want to when you finished this one did you want to write on that again did the, you've had a series of books you've been very successful i think three or four uh for the early one other series did this is there another one that pulls through on this or is it was this a sort of one-off no this is this is a one-off uh, although I do have other books coming up that, that have already been written and we're going to be we're going to be publishing. And thank you for asking. But but this book is a standalone in the sense of that relationship between the father and the son, because, as you know, at the end, this the son is complete with this. Yeah. And that that's where I wanted to get to. I didn't want this to be some dangling dangling participle at the end. I wanted yeah, yeah. this to be a, a, a book that and as you point out, by the way, there's a lot of funny stuff in this book. I mean, there are there are laugh out loud scenes. There yep. are there are scenes that'll get a tear to your eye. That's what the book's about. Well, and that's the thing, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Stevens, our guest. It's different to me. It's different than your other books. Now, I've only read four, four, maybe four or five of your books. Yeah, there's four. four Sandors. Thank you. Yeah, there's and four Sandors. There's a uh, Crimes and Passion, which is a murder mystery, and then the new one, The Handler, and there's a, a sequel to that coming out in the fall. But but Fool's Errand is different. By the yeah. way, not to be commercial about this, but Jeffrey <laughs> Stevens, Stevens is with a PH, so if you look for me on Amazon, look for Stevens with a PH, and you'll find all of these books there. Yeah, that's 
that's an experienced guy. You did that with me one other time. You make sure well, I'll make sure to put up on social media correctly. <laughs> Unfortunately, hey, we're out of time, Jeffrey. Somewhere uh, in the in the heavens, uh, your your father is uh, is is proud of you on this Father's Day. So thanks for the book and thanks for coming on. Thank you. Happy Father's Day to you and to everybody. God bless. All right. Thank you, Jeffrey S. Stevens. I will put up on social media to his uh, spell his name and his website and links to the book. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with John Schlafly, our old friend John Schlafly. He is one half of the dynamic duo, the Schlafly Brothers, who produce each week the Schlafly Report, available over at uh, townhall.com, printed in various uh, websites. We were talking, John, last week or so, one of the uh, key websites where it's published, uh, also available archived at phyllisschlafly.com. This week's column, Deep State Declares War on Trump Voters. All right, John, first of all, um, I know this is knee-deep in it, but um, the the column is all about the... um, indictment down in uh, Florida. But uh, as to the sort of 50,000 foot view, what's going on here? I mean, I know that's what the column says, but what do you feel? Well, Ed, I feel that uh, what we call the deep state, which is includes, uh, you know, originally, I guess that primarily talked about the CIA, but uh, it now is basically the permanent government um, who feels that they're more powerful than any elected official. So uh, they brought this indictment against uh, Trump in an effort to uh, stop him from running for re-election next year. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, the fact that the attorney general appointed uh, one man whose only job was to, Alan Dershowitz says, get Trump and to indict Trump. And now uh, now that he's brought the indictment, lawyers said inappropriately that he's going to try and get a speedy trial in order to get it over with before the election. So that's what we're up against. And the question is, are we, are the, we the people uh, going to control our government or are, is, are these um, unelected of various federal departments, are they going to control the government the way they control it now under the Biden administration? John, you know, you know, I was, John, I remember asking, you and I went to see General Jack Singlob, very famous um, American um, um, hero, Army general, and um, who we knew well, who died in the last year or two uh, at 100 years old. But we sat with him. He was an original, young, 25, 23-year-old member of the OSS when they were in World War II. While Bill Donovan was the head of it, they went behind enemy lines. They went uh, all over. And and then they were, I think I'm right when I say that, then they were disbanded. The OSS was set up for the war, and it was d- d- disbanded. I, I th- it, it turned into the CIA eventually, but there was a period where it was, I think, intentionally disbanded. But but be that as it may, or however the facts are in that, I remember asking General Jack Singlob, who had his career uh, of 50 years in the OSS, CIA, Army, and then as a civilian in helping fight communism, about the deep state. And I said, what's the deal with the deep state? And he said... There's no such thing as a deep state. 
as a deep state, like one big group. And, and he paused, you know, 90 something years old when I was asking them this. And he said, and he paused, and I thought, oh, he's going to he's going to try to tell me there's no such thing as a deep state. And he said there there are forces that are acting together that are permanent in the government. And that's the way he described it. In other words, the deep state, I, I sometimes worry people you say the deep state and they think you're you're seeing, you know, ghosts where there are shadows. But but when it's a coordinated effort. And said differently in this, with regard to the, the, this, uh, indictment, it's the, it's the powers of the presidency. It's the powers of the intelligence community. It's the powers of the media all being used in a direction to get Trump. And that, that feels some, uh, you know, that, that's the, it's bigger than the deep state. So, but John, um, I hate to say it. How do you beat that? It, it's everybody on the other side. You know, Tucker Carlson's commentary the other night about, you know, the one thing you can't say is that they lied about the Iraqi war and weapons of mass destruction. Cause, and he said a line, if you remember, he said something like, you know, the, the people, uh, that are hurt by that and both in both parties, it's really one party. He said, it's hard to imagine how you beat that, John. Um, well, uh, Donald Trump is determined to keep fighting it and to survive. So I think he is depending on a core of the American people who would back him and, um, you know, particular fight over the indictment brought by special counsel, Jack Smith is just beginning. Uh, and, um, there are others waiting in the wings. In fact, even Jack Smith himself was tasked with bringing a second indictment against Trump relating to January 6th. We don't really know where that stands, but, this indictment, the one that uh, I pleaded not guilty to just yesterday, you know, with 37 counts, the 31 of which are duplicated. Basically, it's the allegation is that Trump willfully retained documents 1 through 31. So 31 documents. I don't know what's in the documents, except that they were documents that Trump had a right to possess when he was president. And so to my mind, that makes them presidential documents and subject to negotiation between the former president and the archives, for which there's no deadline. Um, so it's just an outrage that these documents, which whether or not they contain contained what used to be national security information, anything that's in those documents would have been long since obsolete anyway. They just only have historical value now. And the idea that Trump would be criminal, uh, sent to prison for failing to hand over these 31 documents, which he uh, were part of his presidential White House office and part of his work in the White House as president. I mean, it's just an outrage. It's never happened before, and it should never be a criminal matter. And uh, there's got to be, um, it may go to the Supreme Court to see what will eventually happen to this case. Uh, John, John Schlafly is our guest. His column over at townhall.com and available at phyllisschlafly.com is this week as Deep State declares war on Trump voters. Um, John, I mentioned in my open that it feels like this is, somehow this feels like they're going after us. 
I mean, I've always been relatively Trumpish in terms of my interest on positions as well as him. But I, more and more people, I think, feel like when you say that in the headline here that uh, declares war on Trump voters, they're not going after Trump. They're going after us. Well, that's right. And, of course, uh, Joe Biden you know, is, is constantly railing against what he calls MAGA Republicans. And, of course, MAGA Republicans, which are the majority, a large majority of Republicans, so he's talking about the large majority, well over half or two-thirds of the other party. And uh, Biden is trying to demonize this large segment of the American people uh, and try to basically you know, isolate them and uh, marginalize them from having any legitimate role in our system. And that's what the Justice Department is now trying to do. And it's what the other departments who respond to the cues from uh, the deep state and the Biden administration are also trying to do. So it is a scary situation, Ed. I, I, I've got to, you've got to agree that. But uh, we're the 2024 election is now coming into view, and uh, American people eventually will have their say. John, what what happens next in terms of the uh, of the matter? I mean, you know, the depiction over the course of the arraignment on Tuesday was, you know, like a, I said, a combination of a, of a state funeral and a and a a, um, a a tailgate between Trump's events where he was people singing happy birthday and then the coverage of the of the uh, motorcade. But what happens next in terms of the, the your bet on the lawsuit? Well, it's going to take a long time, right? Well, it's funny that after he left the federal courthouse where <laughs> where I've been, yeah, uh, and then he went to the the landmark Cuban restaurant, which has been there for fifty years, called Versailles, yeah. and uh, I've been there too, and he received a hero's welcome from the <laughs> mostly right. Cuban American people who own and patronize that you know it's a very large restaurant that serves that has served. Uh, Cuban-American cuisine for the last 50 years. So, um, you know, and so that was, you know, a good way to come down. From well, I, th- I, I think that they and they may they, they the Cuban-Americans, they may uh, know what for when it comes to they watching. Knew. They what, know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, right. You know, this is not new to them. Yeah. No, we're in another. And of course, these are yeah. the children or grandchildren of the people who escaped from Castro. But yeah. uh, they've nevertheless uh, learned <laughs> they, that through they, their their mother's they, milk. They recognize it. All right, John, I got to go, unfortunately. I'm out of time. John Schlafly, everybody, go over to uh, townhall.com or phyllisschlafly.com and read his column. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, back in a moment. Welcome, 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 welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I hope you enjoy those interviews uh, and uh, John Schlafly and Jeffrey Stevens. Uh, let's finish up today. Let me tell you about something. Uh, we spoke last week with Dr. Carol Swain. She's really spectacular. And on over on social media, Facebook, as well as on Twitter, she's just a great presence. Carol M. Swain, PhD. She's a doctor, a professor at Vanderbilt, I think, for a while, and just an amazing lady. Um, and she uh, put over there, she put a, a post that said this, uh, this is one of the best articles I've read about the history of the LGBT movement's adoption of the rainbow as their symbol. Uh, using scripture, it offers the proper Christian response to God's covenantal promise to Noah, and we should embrace the rainbow. And she goes on, she puts up this uh, essay uh, by a man named Andrew Sibley, Andrew Sibley, and it's very good. 
It's very good. It's very it's kind of the history of it, which is important uh, about why, you know, how this happened um, and about how unfair it is and how uh, in some ways clever it was to go ahead and try to uh, steal the rainbow. Now, here's the thing. My wife has been saying for a long time, it's it felt unfair that the rainbow became this symbol of uh, LGBT stuff because it made you have to be political. You want to put a rainbow on your kid's uh, a shirt. It's not a celebration of the rainbow and a celebration of of uh, of light through a prism or a celebration of Noah. It's it becomes this political statement. It's really mean to do that and intentional. But here's the thing. It's gone too far. I've told you before. And the hashtag people are using is hashtag too far, kind of like Me Too. And everybody knows the Me Too movement uh, is an accurate. There's an accurate need to control animals, especially in Hollywood. Weinstein and others sound like terrible people. Although I would acknowledge, too, that the system that everybody exploited and enjoyed uh, was pretty uh, uh, exploitative of, of, of sexuality and, and promiscuity, et cetera. But be that as it may, if someone is a real uh, terrible person, I, I understand. But the Me Too movement, most people agree, went too far. It, it basically uh, crippled workplaces, for example. You, you, you would be crazy. You would be crazy and it would be malpractice in a business setting to let yourself be alone with a woman. Let's say you're a 50-year-old man, be alone with a 22-year-old intern in a room. You wouldn't do it. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm saying that, that we've, we've come all the way to the Mike Pence uh, position of, of not being alone with a single woman in a room because it's not worth the trouble. And it went too far. Well, likewise, the LGBT thing, the pride thing, it, at a certain point, it's not, it is actually pride. It's pride in, in meaning the sin. It's not being proud, being confident in yourself. It's, it's pride shoving into people's faces and making them feel bad about themselves and stealing from them symbols and things that have meaning. That's not a kind thing. That's not a kind thing. That's a, terribly nasty mean thing to do to people and people think it's gone too far too far and once it's gone too far people take a lot of grief in this country america we put up with a lot of grief we put up with a lot of things that happen that we don't particularly like taxes are too high intrusion onto, into our lives by regulations too high our schools are not doing a good enough job but if you go too far and in this case, the White House hosted some sort of pride event and one of the transgender people. And in fact, it was just a transgender event. It wasn't just pride. It wasn't LGB. It was TTT. And the people, some of the, the transgender people had their clothes off, their tops off and were gyrating in a way that was obscene, if not pornographic. And I think people saw that and they just said too far. Hashtag too far. It's gone too far. We we are not going to tolerate this. It's not something that we can stand and we're going to move against it. We're going to move against it. We're going to tell people. And I read this Carol Swain post and I thought Carol Swain is giving space for people to recover that. We we want to have we want to have we want to have we want to have the rainbow symbol as a meaningful thing in our in our lives it has religious connotations it has uh like i said science i remember as a kid having a prism and how exciting it was to project on the wall a rainbow is that a political statement now 
They want to make everything into that. It's a, it's a denigration. I almost said degradation, but it's denigrating. It's denigrating things that matter in a way that's very, un, again, very unkind. It's not uh, a virtue. Pride is not a virtue. Pride is not a virtue. Pride is a sin. It's a vice, better said. And it's being used by people who think if they yell loud enough about a vice, people will think it's a virtue, and it's not. It's not. So I will post up on uh, social media, and I will uh, make sure to link to this story that um, that was uh, so well done that Carol Swain, Dr. Carol Swain, recommended. And you will, uh, I think, you'll find it um, uh, really interesting and and important to have. So check that out. All right, uh, uh, I also will have a report. Uh, there was uh, this week is the congressional baseball game, and I was laughing because uh, the Congressman Stubbe is the pitcher for the Republicans, and I guess he's really, really good. I mean, really good. And so he has been uh, doing a heck of a job striking out Democrats. So we'll see. We'll get an update. Every time I think of the congressional baseball game, I think of um, Steve Scalise, who was shot while he was practicing by a rabid Rachel Maddow uh, watching lunatic and uh, barely survived. And so he, he'll be out there. I don't know if he's playing as much as uh, just attending and being a part of it, but it's pretty great that he can do that. So, all right, everybody, thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our awesome producer thank you also to uh ryan hyde associate producer and uh we will uh be back tomorrow it's ed martin here on the pro america report talk to you then this is the pro america report on the answer san diego three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com